Good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. Happy Father's Day to the dads in the room. Hey, as we begin this morning, I want to turn our attention um, to what the, the writer of Colossians says. He says, in Christ, all things are held together, things on earth um, and all things. They're held together by him. And so as we begin this morning, we're going to sing a song that just reminds us that our Father is in control, that our God is in control. So if you will, would you stand with us? Let's begin our time this morning singing this together. This is my father's world into my listening ear. All nature sings around me. find comfort in this. This is my Father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas. His hands the The Lord 
the heavens rain, God reigns, let the earth be glad. Aren't you thankful this morning that he's in control, that it's his world, that he holds all things together? Well, if you're new this morning, welcome. Welcome to Fellowship Faith. My name's David. I'm one of the leaders here. And uh, this morning, as we continue our series in the book of John, uh, this morning we're in chapter 11, and if you've read through the book of John, you know that 11 is, is the middle marker of the book, and the story that comes with this morning is the raising of, of life to Lazarus, and what's cool about this, this, this book is in the middle of it, this is the last miracle that Jesus will do before he goes to the cross, and surely Jesus knew in this moment by doing this miracle, the Jews would continue to be upset and would force him to the cross that in order for Lazarus to be raised to life, Jesus had to offer up his life. And this is foreshadowing what's true for every single one of us in here, that in order to find life, Christ had to lay down his life for us. So we're gonna sing a familiar song this morning, and I wanna pay attention to a couple of lyrics that we're gonna sing. It says, you give life, that the life that we have is because of the life that Jesus gave up, that you are love, that he laid down his life. What is love? The Bible says that there's no greater love than one that lays down his life for his neighbor. And it says you bring light to the darkness. In Corinthians chapter one, it says that Christ is delivering people from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light, that he does the work. And so we submit that that world that we just sang about, that our father cares about, he's bringing light into the darkness. He cares. So this morning, would you sing these familiar words with us and maybe in a new way? Let's think about these words as we sing them this morning. It's your breath in our love. 
shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing Bible's very clear that when he is faithful, he is faithful, although we are faithless. So this morning, we're going to do together a, a corporate um, time of confession. 
And I don't know what the word confession, what kind of baggage that might bring for you, but biblically, connection is what brings us back to connection. Confession leads to connection with God. First John is very clear that when we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just, not only to cleanse our sins, but to forgive us, to forgive us and to cleanse. And so this morning, we're gonna have a couple phrases come on the screen, and we're just gonna give you just a little bit of time with each phrase to talk to God, to be honest. To be honest about the things that you've done, maybe or the things that we've left undone. So together this morning, as we take a corporate confession, can we just be honest knowing that that's what leads ultimately to connection with our God? So let's take a moment and let's do this together. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. You stand with us. Let's continue to worship our God whose mercy is so much more than anything that we could do. What love could remember the wrongs we have done? Omniscient, all-knowing, He counts not their song thrown into a sea. 
beyond our sin, Lord, for your love, that although you know all, you know everything that every single person in this room has done, and yet you still pursue us. And Jesus still came and died so that we could be reconnected to you. Lord, may we be a people that confesses regularly. May we be a people that's marked by our repentance. Lord, because that's all we got. 
is you. So Lord, we look to you this morning. Would you teach us from your word that we would leave different? In your name I pray. Amen. You can grab a seat. Well, good morning, my church family. My name's Clark, and I have the great privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at Fellowship Fayetteville. If you're new here, um, you're here with your family on Father's Day for the first time in a long time. We'd love to meet you, and so we're grateful you've chosen uh, to worship with us today. Um, not sure if my sons are in here or if they're home watching or coming to the 1030, but I'm so grateful that God gave us Nate, Jacob, and Bo uh, 22, 21, and 17, and um, just grateful to be their father. And if you're a father in here, you know the desperation of and the weight of that. And so, uh, boys, if you're watching or listening, um, I went to our father this morning because I can't do this. And, um, and I asked for him to grow you in humility. I took Proverbs chapter three, one through eight, and I prayed that for you boys. And also spend some time praying um, for your future spouses. And so would encourage any father in here to know that you can't do it. And I would encourage you, if you just have one takeaway, we've got a sermon we're gonna look at. You need to be going to the Father on behalf of your children. It's your only shot. You can't do this. And so um, as an encouragement to you on this Father's Day, hopefully that's good news for you. I am wearing black today. And uh, someone made that comment back there. Why are all the guys wearing black today? Well, um, well, I'm grateful to be a dad here this morning. A few things before we get started. And by the way, if you have your Bible or your device, or your phone, uh, go ahead and turn to John chapter 11. That's where we're gonna be uh, this morning. Um, one thing I wanna remind you of, I've got some crazy guys hanging out in this Celebrate Recovery booth as you walk out um, to your right. And um, they're a rowdy bunch. And they want you to know more about CR that meets here on Friday nights at seven, a meal at six. And um, their life has been transformed by Jesus Christ and his grace and mercy. And there's a reason they're a rowdy bunch is because they've been touched and impacted by the grace of Jesus and they'll never be the same because of his spirit in them, because of his word that's transforming them and the community that they found in their recovery process. And so... Um, go meet those guys. If you've got questions about that on this Father's Day, they'd love to share a little bit more uh, with you about that. Also, um, if you've been with us in our series, uh, we're two-thirds of the way through. Um, way back after, um, in, in the beginning of the year, we started this 21-week series in John. And so the first seven teachings of that series, we looked at the I Am statements affirming the deity of Jesus and who he claims to be. We've been, for these seven weeks, we've been in a section called Miracles, and we end that section today. Next week, uh, we start uh, our next seven, if you will, in, in this area called Encounters, as Jesus interacts with specific people. If you don't have one of these, it's a great time to jump in and walk with us through this. So um, there's devotional um, guides there, there's discussion questions for your small group, there's Bible study prompts in there. Um, as you know, and you probably get tired of me saying this as one of your pastors, but Sunday alone is not sufficient for your time in the scriptures. And so this is a tool for you to learn how to be a self-feeder in the context of community. 
We want you to be men and women of the scriptures. This is just part of it this morning. And so grab one of those on the way out. It'll help you get more out of um, our teaching uh, series. Well, as I said, we find ourselves in John chapter 11 this morning, and it's basically a part two of Easter Sunday. We're back in John 11. We were there on Easter Sunday and also in John 20 as we looked at I am the resurrection and the life, and we saw Lazarus raised. And our primary focus that day was on the deity of Jesus, who claimed to be the resurrection and the life. And today, we're gonna turn the diamond a little bit in the light, and we're gonna consider the humanity of Jesus in this story. We're gonna consider his humanity. And I wanna do this, and I wanna consider uh, the nature and state of our world, and not just outside of these walls, but also inside of the room. And the way news travels with the rapidity of just how the news gets to us through social media feeds, the headlines, and the types of headlines that make a headline are usually primarily uh, negative. Um, they're, they're usually speaking of tragedy, of trauma, abuse, natural disasters, war, economic disasters. Which, which reminds me, Mickey wanted me to thank you guys for your generosity to our relief fund. Um, he just uh, let us know the other day that we're partnering with a ministry in a country that's helping um, over 100,000 Ukrainian refugees. Um, because of your generosity, we've been able to um, invest money into that experience. And so God is using you in broken places, in the headlines, behind the scenes. He's using you and, but when you consider what's going on in the world, I, I wonder, and I, I have concern as a pastor in my own heart, maybe yours too, of what we might call compassion fatigue or numbness or anger or worse yet, apathy, where maybe you get to a point, it's just hard to care because there's so much coming at you so fast. And then some of you may be wondering, well, does God care with, with, with the type of brokenness that you see in front of you? And for some of you, it's inside this room this morning. There's personal crisis and personal brokenness that's happening. I was reading an author uh, the other day. He was reflecting on 2004, the tsunami in the Indian Ocean, and how in just a matter of hours, 230,000 people uh, lost their Life, which is almost the exact amount of people that claim Washington County as home. And so just hearing this, and some of you are going, happy Father's Day, right? Hey, thanks for cheering me up, Clark. Well, we're gonna look at the one who met us in our suffering this morning, and we meet a family this morning who's going through a personal crisis. In this miracle, I believe God's given us insight into the nature of in the character of who he is, and I believe he does care. And he's not asleep at the will. He's not distant. Hear this statement. In Jesus Christ, God meets us with hope in our deepest pain. And he does this for the, fam the family of Lazarus this morning, and I think he can do it for us too. But as we end this section of our John series, I wanna, kinda, I wanna go broad. I don't know if we've done this yet. Is we just a quick overview of John, in John 1, 1 through 18, those 18 verses, we have what we call the prologue. It's John presenting Jesus, the presentation of who he is. 
In fact, it's one of the more thorough, doctrinally sound and robust presentations of who Jesus is. If you've ever wondered um, who he is and what it means theologically, John 1, 1 through 18 is loaded there. What we've been spending the primary part of our time in is John 1, 19 through the end of 1250. And that's his manifestation where he reveals who he is by what he does by his claims, the way he interacts with people. It's his manifestation. John 13 through 16, we have his upper room discourse where he prepares his disciples for life without him and the promise of his spirit that would come. John 17, he prepares his own heart in prayer before his passion. And then John 18 to 21, um, his crucifixion, his passion, his suffering, um, and his resurrection. And so we find ourselves in that second section here this morning. And to get us up to speed on our story here, we're going to pick it up in verse 32, but um, we meet a man named Lazarus. He's from Bethany. He's a friend of Jesus. Um, His sisters are Mary and Martha, and he's got this serious illness that could lead to death. Um, Upon hearing the news from being out of town um, that his friend Lazarus is sick, Jesus waits two more days before he begins his journey to Bethany to see Lazarus and his family. He seems to lack some urgency, um, if you remember some of the narrative. But he makes the claim that this illness that he has ultimately will not lead to death, but his father and him will receive glory through it. And then he says this in verse 14. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. So that, and this is the rhythm we see in John every week for 21 weeks. So that you may believe, but now let us go to him. Well, by the time he arrives in Bethany, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Martha goes out to the edge of town. She meets him, and she claims, and we learn this about Martha on Easter, she claims that he is the Messiah, that he is the resurrection, and she believes that he is who he claims to be. Now Mary makes her way out to meet Jesus, and that's where we find ourselves a little bit. We're dropping down into this scene of brokenness. When Mary reached the place, verse 32, where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, Lord. They replied, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Some observations we would make as we enter into this scene of brokenness Um, I would note, maybe skepticism is too strong of a word, but questions or statements of frustration by those in the family, those around him, wondering what the angst they're feeling. Where was Jesus in this? Where is is God, if you will, in the midst of the pain, the one who could prevent these things from happening? The Jews, they, they hearken back to the blind man who we studied a few weeks ago, and then this personal statement, and you could take it a couple of different ways. It's a, there's a lot of honor involved here. The fact that she believed that he could have done something is pretty significant. There's also this sense of, why weren't you here? 
we're, we're four days in now in the tomb, and we've lost him. He could have done something about it. And then there's this uh, moment that he has where it says that he's deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Um, in the original language, it carries with it the idea of indignation, uh, this righteous anger. And there's a variety of perspectives here on what he was um, angry about. In fact, um, one commentator says it was, um, the, the, the word picture here is it, it's a horse that's snorting. There's a gasp that happened when he comes upon the scene. This isn't a, a calculated move where he fakes emotion or tears to kind of meet them where they're at. In his humanity, he feels the weight of this moment. And I believe in its greater context that given what's going on here, Jesus is righteously angry or experiencing indignation on the ultimate result of the fall. This is what happens when man walks away from God, goes his own way. We experience the fullness and the weight of sin ultimately leading into death. And this family is experiencing the pain and the brokenness of that moment. I thought about titling this sermon, The Day That God Cried. For we see God in human form in the person of Jesus crying here. And we see great emotion overwhelm him. Verse 38, Jesus once more, deeply removed. He comes to the tomb. There was a cave with a stone laid across to the entrance. Take away the stone, he says. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this, by this time, uh, there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Again, note the expectation of belief all through our account here in John. And note, um, he he, he always references the glory of God being on the line. And simply put, the glory of God is the weight and the essence of all that God is made manifest in the person of Jesus. Uh, verse 41, they took away the stone. Uh, Jesus looks up. He says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. Why? That they may believe, that they may rely on, that they may trust in me, that you sent me. And when he said this, he called out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hand and feet wrapped with strips of linen, cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, verse 45, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. And I've always been fascinated by this scene. I kind of picture him kind of, he's, He's wrapped up in these clothes pretty tight. He's shuffling out. And I'm fascinated by the physiology of how Jesus pulls these miracles off, okay? And I'm not gonna claim like sanctified imagination here by any stretch. I'm just trying to figure out how did it go down? Like behind the scenes, inside the tomb, before the stone was rolled away, was this just this resuscitation moment and he just looked normal again? Or when he walked out, did they see his color come back into his body? Um, he, four days, so some decomposition maybe starting. And she even, uh, uh, she even brings up, his sister brings up the smell. So when did he start smelling good? Like, 
they reference these, these physical things, and I'm like, how cool would it be to see this thing happen right before your very eyes? Well, I'm fascinated by the physiology of that. But again, he asserts the reason he does this miracle that they may believe. And we understand here this so much bigger than Lazarus as he points to himself as the resurrection and the impending result of belief. But what I wanna do here is I wanna drop anchor for just a little bit as we looked at the deity of Jesus being the great I am on Easter. I wanna look at his humanity and how he comes near to us and takes on our suffering in the midst of our pain as well. And just a cursory overview of the phrases that are used of him in John chapter 11 alone. He's living in a real time, in a real place. He's not distant and removed as some of the pagan gods were portrayed as, but he's connected in this community of faith. Consider what is said about him. Lord, the one you love is sick. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He wept. See how he loved him. Once more, he was deeply moved and he came to the tomb. To the tomb. And I wanted to remind us, it's just a little time out theological moment here too. For those of you who are trying to figure out what we believe about who Jesus is at Fellowship Fayetteville, this is what we call the hypostatic union. You probably won't use that at lunch today as you celebrate Father's Day, okay? It's an important doctrine of the church, the idea that Jesus is both perfectly divine and perfectly human. He has two complete and distinct natures at once. Blow your mind. It's true, and we see that collision happen in John chapter 11. The full deity of Jesus on display and him weeping in his humanity over our personal loss. They come together here. This is our statement here at Fellowship Fayetteville. The second person of the Trinity is both the eternal Son of God and the virgin-born Son of Man. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, surrendered nothing of his deity during his earthly life. Listen to what he did for us. Having led a sinless life, he satisfied the Father's justice concerning sin by his substitutionary death, which it just simply means in your place, in our place. This is what we look to. We believe in his bodily resurrection, his physical ascension, and his visible return to earth to establish his earthly kingdom. The scriptures affirm this. John 1:14 in the prologue, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Colossians 1, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Hebrews 1, he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. If you're taking notes, let me give you four chapter ones that are all you need to know substantively about who Jesus is, okay? John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, and 1 John 1. Loaded, it's like a multivitamin on the character and the nature and the person of who Jesus is. And in these passages, we see that in Jesus Christ, God meets us with hope in our deepest pain. And it's humanity. We know he was hungry in Matthew 4 in his temptation. We're gonna see in a few weeks he was thirsty and weary as he interacts with the Samaritan woman in John uh, chapter four. And for the family of Lazarus, I'm wondering if they wondered, could God 
be God and cry? Could God still be God and be that vulnerable as if he had lost control of this thing? You wonder what the questions were that they were asking, and he can if he's the one with the answer to death. And see, he's the arm of compassion of God for the brokenness of the world, and in this family, they felt that. He remains both fully God and fully man in this scene. I tried to figure out how to say this and to um, come up with pithy statements that would help you remember it, but I couldn't do better uh, than the author to the Hebrews. And so if you'll bear with me, I wanna read some passages to us, and I wanna let the word of God speak into this space. And as I read this, I almost had to sit back in my chair and kneel at the weight and the depth of how God meets us in our pain by becoming the very pain he comforts us in. Hebrews 2, we see him for a little while. He was made lower than the angels. He was like us, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that for whom and by whom all things exist, deity, God, sovereignly in total control, in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. He enters into our suffering. We go on in Hebrews 2. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death, and I wonder if this is part of the indignation he feels when he stares death down in his friend Lazarus, so that through death he might destroy the one who has power over death, that is the devil, the face-off here, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We go on to, through Hebrews 2, therefore, he'd be made like his brothers, like us in every respect. Why? So that he might become a, hear it, merciful, someone who can feel the weight and the pain of someone else and empathize and a faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. All that big word is, and you won't use that today at lunch either, is it's a, it's a covering. It's a blood covering. It's an atonement that satisfies the penalty or the payment for sin. It takes care of that and removes it away and turns away God's wrath so that God embraces us and he did that for us. And then listen to this statement here, verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews 4, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then, and this is our response, church family, let us then with confidence in our suffering, in our pain, in our brokenness, in our reading of the headlines, let's draw near to him with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So I believe in spite of the brokenness, those images you saw earlier, the world due to the fall, that God sovereignly worked in this master plan to restore all things to himself 
and he begins it. And we see a snapshot of it in this interaction with this family, with the family of Lazarus. The implications of John 11. Some of our takeaways. We see the deity of Jesus revealed. We see the humanity of Jesus revealed. We see the glory of God revealed. At the end of 11, the chief priest puts together a plan. He calls it a plot to kill Jesus. And then at the end of 11, it says that Jesus would no longer roam around or move about publicly. For our purposes in our series here in John, it's, it's incredibly important that you understand what happens when you turn the page to chapter 12. It speaks into this moment in this family. The first scene in 12, Jesus is honored at a dinner with Lazarus and his sisters and his disciples. Mary pours expensive perfume on his feet as if preparing him, John notes, for burial. And she, she wipes his feet with her hair. In the next scene, Jesus rides in on a donkey and they proclaim, Hosanna, the king rides in. And then he makes this statement. My hour has now come. And if you remember in our first miracle, seven weeks ago we looked at, what did he tell his mother? Woman, we looked at what that meant, what it doesn't mean. My hour has not yet come. Well, here's the bookend. It's here. And I believe that when Jesus set this family free from their misery, they brought, he brought their brother back to life. In giving life, he hastens his death. You see, for them, there was this joy of life being granted, him being resuscitated, them getting to build more memories together. And Jesus knew that this miracle, the grandest of all miracles, it was gonna hasten this, what we might call his death march. And that's what happens in 11 and 12 Jesus understands, he feels the weight of our pain and suffering, and the Jewish leaders persist in spite of that in unbelief. So does God care? Again, it's our time together. This is not set up to be some great apologetic on the problem of evil or why does a good God allow bad things to happen to good people. I understand that. It would be disingenuous for this to be a catch-all for those arguments and to unpack some of those things. But I can't take anything away from the scripture, what Jesus says he's done on our behalf to enter into our suffering so that we would know that in our pain and in your suffering this morning, God understands. And he cares deeply for you on this Father's Day. Consider what would happen in this death march in this what we call his hour in the coming week as we look at the rest of John. I'm gonna pull from some statements here in Isaiah 53. It says this. This is how he feels and understands the weight of your suffering. He was despised, rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Men would hide their faces from him. They would esteem him not. He would bear our griefs. He would carry our sorrows. Anyone grieving and sorrowful this morning? He was smitten by God. He was pierced, crushed, went through chastisement. He was wounded 
God laid on him the iniquity of all of us. He was oppressed. He was led to the slaughter. He was cut out of the land of the living, stricken for the sins of his people. By the way, the very people that persisted in unbelief. He went forward in his crucifixion on behalf of them. The injustice of this, he was guilty of no violence. There was no deceit in his mouth. It pleased the Lord to crush him, to put him to grief. He experienced anguish of soul. He poured out his soul to death. He bore the sin of many, and he makes now intercession then and both now also for transgressors. Does God care? He does. Jesus, is his work is summed up, and Ryan Burton and I were talking about this before the service. In 1 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. God does care. He empathizes with us, and he meets us with hope in our deepest pain this morning. May that be good news for you. Let's go to the Father and ask him to help us believe this and understand it. Father, thank you for the goodness and grace of your son and his work on our behalf. Father, thank you for your sacrifice as a father and giving him up for us on our behalf. Father, thank you that your son wept and that as we've shed tears, that he's felt that. And that as we've grieved and experienced sorrow, as we have felt even righteous anger at injustice in the world, that he felt that at the depth of his soul. Thank you that he understands our pain, our suffering, our sorrow, our loss. God, I pray that because of these truths, we would live in resurrection hope, as Lazarus did with his sisters around the table that day and celebrated and honored Jesus, little knowing that he would go to die the ultimate death to give them ultimate hope eternally. That we trust in these truths that they're real and that we can hang our hat on them. We can put a stake in the ground with them and we can be firm in our belief about who your son is. We walk out these doors in his name. We ask these things, amen. Stand together and sing this. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Believe this that thou changest not. Thy compassions they fail not as thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness.
the day that God cried should be a reminder to all of us in the room this morning that God gets us, that he empathizes with us, and a reminder he breathes hope into our scene, and that he's working a plan, even today, even in your crisis, to restore all things to himself and to make all things right again, and we, we wait for the full revelation of that hope. If you find yourself this morning in need of prayer as a single, a couple, or a desperate father even this morning, um, we've got folks in our prayer room to your right. They'd love to pray with you. It's been great worshiping with you this morning. Let's have a great week together as we shine the light of Jesus in Fayetteville.